Hello, welcome to episode 51 of the Therapy Tales podcast with me, Dawn Walton, and... What am I today? I don't know. I don't know. We always have this dramatic pause before you decide who you are today. I change every day. I change every day. So I was here already, writing my book, my new book. Are you the same Easy person you were yesterday? Hmm? Are you the same person you were yesterday? No. I'm not the same person as I was when I walked in Starbucks. So, um, Mother's Day yesterday. Hmm. And one of our uh, patrons on the walk got quite upset and I said uh, good upset or bad upset about mother and um, she didn't know what I meant and then she misses her mother a lot I said that's good upset yes good memories I hate Mother's Day that's bad upset bad upset <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's lots of reasons to like it and not like it it's really hard because you, you don't want to get into the whole politically correct thing of stopping everybody being able to enjoy it because you don't or you've got a reason not to. I think I think life is about experiencing the moment, right? And I think if you people right. think too much. That's the problem yeah. about people is that we've got too many humans humans emotions. Yeah. So today is an interesting podcast because I want to introduce the idea of pharma I always get it wrong. Zoo pharmacognosy. You might hear a voice in the background. Angela is joining us today. Um, join us. And just having the breakfast. Yeah, so I want to chat and then I'll hand over to, to Angela to explain more about her thing. Um, so I met Angela when I was doing Saddle Up Ranch and um, she brought over um, minerals and oils and um, lots of different powders and uh, organic wheatgrass and all sorts of things and the horses would pick what they wanted and it was super interesting because the ones that we had, so some of the horses that we got in especially at that time where Angela was, was there um, had been abuse cases where they'd been left in a field for many many years and, and only had you know one source of food right. and the occasional bit of hay so they were underweight and um, definitely nutritionally lacking and they always sourced the, the horses, the individual horses sourced the same thing and for a few weeks they would eat and eat and eat this, this or lick at it rather, this right. powder or whatever they, they, they preferred and then one day they went, I don't need that anymore because that was that was them, you know, they'd got back to, to almost full health um, so that the idea of the animal sourcing it for itself and having that intelligence to know what's missing, which doesn't sit well with a lot of people because how, how does an animal know? There's an instinctive drive that many animals have and of course some just don't have it but what I'm going to talk about is the book called The Nature Fix, which I have started to read four times and got about a third of the way in. I've never completed it. Right, so this is the book that you just said to me. Have you read it? You need to read it. It's a book about science stuff. And now you're telling me that you've tried four times to read it and I've only got a third of the way through. Because there's so much in it that every time I go, that was so good, I restart it. So four times. But what I've done is, I've not finished the book, but I have read all the... the, the there's um, the four senses. They talk about the, the science behind... Um, sight and smell the smells one i'm going to talk about today um and they go through all the senses and the science behind it and, and hearing as well so for example they did tests on studies on um children living within five miles of an airport okay. and how the sound affects learning and there's a huge yeah there's there's a, a big spike or a, a spike in, in children with learning problems within five miles of an airport because of the constant noise so we think that noise is something that we get used to and adapt to but actually the the body is still aware of it even though we've you know our, our consciousness has kind of blocked it and um, of course noise can have um associations and meanings things like that yes i'm not good with noise so the smell one was really interesting to me and which is why i carry cypress oil with me um and have it in the car and, and sniff it from time to time um, I love it. I love the smell of it. So she was the scientist was describing 
walking through the cypress forests in Japan. So there's this forest full of the yeah, cypress trees, right? Could you imagine just the smell of that? And and it's it's sort of if you let people smell it, it's sort of eucalyptusy at first, but it's not that minty if you like. Very similar, but it's got a different thing to it. Anyway, the um the Japanese are heavily into um, research on stress because there's a high rate of suicide in Japan, high rates of depression, um, and there's a lot of people in small spaces, not a lot of, um, very crowded and not a lot of trees in, in the city, so there's not really you know, nature spaces like we have. It's normal for us in Scotland to have parks and trees in the city, um, but it's you know very concrete jungle there. So people live there day in, day out without seeing any nature. It becomes Nature becomes foreign. And actually she talks about in the book how they, they ship children out in buses to the countryside and they had to teach them what to do because they didn't know how to explore or pick up sticks or, you know, they, they went, right, this, this hill is for doing this activity and this hill is for doing this activity because they weren't, didn't have any autonomy in that respect of how to be in nature. It wasn't, it was foreign. It is weird, isn't it? Because you... you... We've all grown up in, in different places. You know, I grew up on a chicken farm and, and in the countryside, surrounded by sea. So um, for me, there are certain things that are just normal, accepted countryside living. You know, walk on the right side of the road, you know, so you can see the oncoming cars, not so that the cars are coming behind your back. Little things like that, you know, that you, you learn when you grow up in the country. That if you take somebody from the city who's used to walking on pavements, they'll have no idea. And you know, there's me driving along the road going, get on the, you're on, walking on the wrong side, you can't see me coming. And they've got the headphones in, I'm like, ranting and raving at them. But there's, there's, there's kind of some givens that you just find out that you instinctively know, you know? Even just having dogs in the country is different from having dogs in the city, you know? I don't think you'd see somebody walking along a country lane with a dog on a lead, for example. You know, the dog would walk along with you. And, yeah, they find dead sheep to roll in and stink and things like that. You know, there, there are different things. Yeah, it's different. That we life. kind of take for granted that we think you just all automatically know how to do, but you don't necessarily. So um, these these uh, studies that have come out of Korea and Japan. I mix the two together because she does talk about the two. So if people say, hang on, Japan's got loads of countryside, it might be because of city in Korea or something. But anyway, they're very similar with their suicide and their depression rates and the fact that they're um, putting research into... Um, how to combat this and how to you know reduce stress levels and, and increase resilience and so on, um, especially young people. So what they did for the last 15 years is they strapped blood pressure monitors um, to the Japanese uh, businessmen and shipped them out to walk in the forests, these cypress forests, and they noticed that their blood pressure reduced and that the effects would last for two um, to three weeks. Yeah. And the WHO changed, that's the World Health Organization, changed their, um, because of this research, changed the recommendation to people getting at least four hours a month of nature, being outside in nature, so four, four hours a month, which sounds absolutely ridiculous to me because I'm getting more than that day, right? <laughs> um, but it makes you really feel for people who are stuck in offices and working in cities without having that um, you know, ability. So, a remarkable. So, they wanted to know what is the effect? What's what's actually happening? Um, and is it the site? Is it the, the away from everything? You know, um, but they have um, localized the the smell of the cypress tree to, um, and that's one of the reasons why they use. You know, like the trees in the car. You hang them in the car, and they've got the um, the air freshener. What are they called? There's a called they're called they're called something. Magic trees. Or something. Magic trees. Well, that actually Magic came from the study. 
that came from the study that that is um, stress relieving, absolutely. Which will be no, um, what's the word? Surprise to you. I'm going to hand over to Angela to talk a little bit about um, her work. As you're handing over, um, the uh, being based in, in towns with flats and things like that, um, there's a lot of studies these days. Oh, hi, I'm getting sniffed my jacket whistle. Um, it's like, oh, my hand's wet. Oh, hello. Um, about blue light from screens, so screen light. And um, one of the things that's really interesting about um, like phone light and iPad light and things like that is it suppresses melatonin, mm -hmm. which is really fascinating. You think of what all our kids do sit there on the phone late into the night and it's actually suppressing melatonin which is critical critical to a deep sleep it's critical to melatonin is the thing that's released that allows you to do the repairing based sleep rather than just the, the REM sleep and yeah sitting there with the blue lights on you is uh, so there'll, there'll be an element of that as well which is you know not getting natural light natural daylight I'm gonna hand my microphone over to you it's like, um, <laughs> pass the mic. So, um, can you introduce to Dawn what you do? Because yeah. she's new to this too. Sure. So, zoo pharmacognosy um, is a method of working with animals on a self-selection basis. So, it's understanding that animals have an innate ability to keep themselves in a state of optimal health, so long as they have access to um, nutrients. And obviously, you know, centuries ago when we started domesticating animals like horses, like dogs, they no longer had the free ability to roam, to forage. And animals in the wild may forage for hours a day if they're feeling that they're not 100% um, healthy. So they'll go and seek plants out that may remedy uh, a digestive issue or, or a behavioral issue within their group. Um, so, as a zoo pharmacognosist, we undergo training um, that teaches us all the compounds that are in either both essential oils but also in plant compounds. That may be, as just said earlier, powders, herbs, um, clays, um, all sorts of things. And it's always surprising people, isn't it, when they when you talk about the science behind it? Because it's on the surface, it seems like an airy fairy, yeah, you know, um, sort of. Well, let the, let the animals pick, but actually, there is quite a lot of science um, backing as you say, what compounds are in which thing. And we, we just heard last night, didn't we, that, um, is it, which university is it that was studying acupuncture? On the pain podcast. Stanford are, are researching acupuncture. And, yeah. Which was super yeah. exciting for me because I thought the Americans were all... Um, yeah, it's very yeah. exciting if somewhere like Stanford is doing that. I'm it's also in, um, in healthcare now. Some of the healthcare organisations are supporting... Um, alternative remedies and things like that. Yeah. I, I'm just thinking as you're talking, because um, my mum had horses, um, and you always got them salt lick. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, they, they, they would go through quite a lot of salt licks, mm. um, but then there's also certain fruits that you could give them that they just absolutely loved and lapped up and things like that. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah it, exactly. it, I think the thing that I, I was thinking when you first started talking about it is, well... Surely they, they should get that from their natural diet, but the idea that they would have been able to roam and find somewhere to get salt or, or, or get access to these minerals, they do seem to have an instinctive ability to 
to go, yeah. I need the taste, I need, I need something, and, and go and get it, right? Yeah, when we look at horses, I mean, horses that have hedgerows around their fields are the luckiest horses because they can forage to their heart's content. And um, people worry about what kind of plants are in fields with horses. But as long as the horse has plenty of free access to good nutrition, they won't necessarily ever select something that isn't good for their health. Um, and when I worked with Jess um, at Saddle Up Ranch, the horses had been deprived of that ability. So what we would find them often select the things that were very high in mineral contents. So barley grass is a very um, sort of almost a superfood. So there are several powders that would be a, sort of full of minerals and, um, and they would crave that. And, you know, and rosehip shells, very high in vitamin C, which helps their skin and their coat. Um, and simple things that we'll see growing wild here. Um, chickweed, for example, very good for skin health and for coat. And then, um, you know, there are other compounds that help muscles and structural systems for animals. Um, and, and I was experimenting with my dogs, you know, so when you have two dogs, it's always really interesting if you offer, you know, cucumber to your dogs, do they both select it? And I had a spaniel that would eat a whole cucumber if he could get, get to it. And my Jack Russell would just turn her nose up and walk away, you know, well, I'm a meat eater, why are you giving me this stuff? Um, but Ben used a lot of energy when he was out, he was a working spaniel, so he was on the go all the time. So he he craved extra fatty oils, which help you know your joints and your muscles, and your um, you know. So he he was always looking for fatty oils. He loved um, lots of different fruits, but she would occasionally take a bit of coconut oil because he was having it, but would almost walk away and spit it out. But I've taken it because because he's taking it. Um, but you would actually see her spit it out and then she just wasn't interested unless it was something she liked um, and he would eat like an orange with the peel she would just eat the flesh so i'd like to just mention because there will be people um that are probably thinking well you wouldn't find oranges naturally where some right. dogs would be and you wouldn't yeah. find coconut oil on the ground for them to you know that would, that's mm -hmm. very processed I'm sorry True. it's not very it's a processed yeah. food although it exists in nature yeah. um and and so it's quite useful to point out that these compounds that are that the, the animals can sense are in lots of different things. Yes, yes. So, and so vitamin C, yeah. you would find in lots of different fruits and vegetables. Yeah, true. And Good different point. times of years as well, a year as well. So yeah. I, I quite like that, and, and I do try to stick with you know, like when the eggs are stopped laying over the winter, don't eat eggs because yeah. you know we wouldn't normally need them mm -hmm. at that time. Yeah. Them when they're there, eat fruit when it's there. Don't buy it from Spain because it's been. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. And if and if you look at you know hedgerows in the winter time, when rose hips are out, you'll see the birds and, and mammals taking those because it boosts their immune system. For the winter, ready for That's the right. winter. Yeah, yeah. And then you know they won't necessarily need them in the springtime. In the springtime, they're looking for things like nettles that are very fresh or grass. You know, if you if watch your dog, I, I did a little video once that I posted showing um, my dog eating grass because people say, well, my dog just eats anything. But actually, if you if you observe what they're doing, and zoo pharmacopoeia is an observational science, so a lot of it is it's uh, observing the reactions of the animal to the compounds you're offering. And offering, because we just yes. tend to stick it up. tends to yeah. stick with just the thing, don't they? I'll feed mm, yeah. a butcher's tinned food, and that'll be the dog forever. Mm. 
and then ultimately if, you, if they're missing something they are going to get ill eventually yeah. from missing that thing yeah and sometimes when i when i work with people and their dogs they may say you know you know they might, they might be a, a problem with you know a belief that feeding lots of different food to your dogs is expensive and I'll sort of encourage them well okay or, or it might make them ill or it might make them ill yeah stick with the but, same thing all the time yeah we, a lot we, of dogs it's almost have... like a, an old wives tale to do that yeah or they might say my dog's got a really sensitive stomach so I just feed them this kibble because I know that won't give them diarrhea and I often say to them would you want to eat beans on toast every meal for the rest of your life because you wouldn't so you've got you know trust your animal let them try other things and supplement their diet you know if if they're you know it's it's a gradual process sometimes very difficult for people to change from what they've been doing and may have done with with multiple dogs or multiple horses to then go to a radically different approach so i'm saying if you just do one thing that's different um then you're, you can take that process very gradually and it helps you both learn, you and your animal are then learning together. So what would you say to somebody who was um, feeding you know, a, a dry food day in, day out for five years um, and who might who, but listen to this and go, well, I'd like to try something. What would be a nice basic thing to offer? Tins of sardines um, are great. Um, you can just put one sardine out of a tin. You can buy them in Aldi for know, 35, 40p. If you did that once a week, it would make a remarkable difference. Um, when you're cooking carrots, give the tops and tails of the carrots on the peel. If you peel your carrots, you know, to your dog, see if he eats it as part of his food. The ends of broccoli, you know, anything that you're so you start with basic things before you get too excited about yeah. wheatgrass wheat powder and yes, coconut oil. Absolutely. You would start with basic. Yeah, yeah. And and with horse owners, um, in the horse world, it's there's lots of things you can buy. You can buy herbal mixes and, you know, some people have a tradition of adding garlic to feed. And I'll say to them, you know, if you put it in a bucket separately and see if your horse wants it, first of all, A, that's going to save you money because they're only going to eat it when they need it. B, if they do need it and you're putting it in their feed, when they really need it to help fight an infection or to help with a respiratory problem, they'll need more of it because their body's got used to having it. Um, if you're buying mixed herbs or mixed plants that you're offering, again, there might only be one thing in that bag that your horse really needs. So. It's more economical for you to buy small quantities and offer them separately. Or, um, you know, sometimes a horse might want um, peppermint because they've got mild inflammation and they might select peppermint oil, for example, if I was doing a consultation. But often if I'm talking to somebody on their phone and, you know, the horse might have an injury or a strain, I'll say make peppermint tea. Offer it cold in a separate bucket to their water so they've got free access to clean water and just observe if they drink that. If they drink the peppermint tea, it's likely, yes, they have got inflammation or they have got a little bit of, you know, something going on in their gut perhaps, but you're finding, you're learning with your horse what's happening or with, with your animal works. For, so in relation to, um, so, so Don and I on these podcasts, we like to do comparisons between um, dogs and, and people and you know animals and, and, and human brains so I think that you know from my work with horses they're probably more they have an, uh, an intrinsic uh, intuition if you like 
of what's what's needed because they're probably well they're well not probably they are less domesticated than a dog yes and the human's the most domesticated so um, if you offered me lots of different smells and, and lots of different powders to, to try and taste there would be ones that I liked and mm -hmm. ones that I didn't like mm -hmm. but I, I might probably wouldn't know what was good for me Right. Like an animal would go, I'm, I'm attracted to this because it's probably good for me. Mm -hmm. I'm attracted to sugar, which probably isn't good for me. <laughs> so do you think there's a, there will be some dogs that are more naturally uh, knowledgeable, like, like innate knowledge of what's needed, and some dogs that just aren't? Um, I haven't ever worked with a dog that hasn't known okay. what it needs. Wow. Um, some work at different paces. Okay. So some animals are just more open and maybe have had more freedom to explore outside in the first place, in the yeah, first place. Yeah. So i remember that with the horses that some were like yep yeah, yep yeah, what have you got and some were yeah. a bit shyer about you know but it but it came after multiple sessions yeah. that they started to go actually i would like to try that yeah yeah and some some people would say my dog will eat anything and i said well remember this isn't food these are secondary metabolites so they have they have special nutritional value that isn't something they would eat to, to fill themselves up and give themselves energy. It's something they will eat to help themselves be healthy. So it's, it's adding something to their diet. So that they're not going to eat a bowl full of something. Um, and then when you work with a Labrador or a Spaniel that's been known in the household to steal food and eat anything, suddenly it's like, oh, right, it doesn't like barley grass. But like spirulina, spirulina's got a lot more protein in it. It's much more of a superfood. Um, but it's something that you can offer to your dog um, over a long period of time because it enhances their health. So do you think with dogs that steal, that might be something they're looking for? Yeah, I, I guess it can be one of two things. It can, it can become a habit and it's behavioural. Um, might be fun, might be a game, might be getting attention. But yes, I mean, if they're stealing things that, that they wouldn't normally eat, that you would normally expect them to eat, like fruit and vegetables or, or something like that, then they're probably looking for something. And what's your take on Labradors being hungry all the time? Um, I don't really know. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have a theory on, on they're missing really anything. I don't have a theory or... on it, no. When, I've worked, um, when I work with dogs, I, I always take the approach. They're just like us. They're completely individual. And we have to work at the pace of the animal. That's sometimes quite difficult for the owner. Um, yeah, everyone so wants a fix now. Because they want it to happen quickly and they want to see something yes. happen. Um, and sometimes it's, it's much more subtle than that. Um, so and, and do you find them attracted to smells with yeah, the oils? Definitely, really? Definitely. So so this morning um I went on one of Jesse's educational walks and I was a little bit nervous this morning. And um and last week when I went I didn't even think about zoo pharmacognosy because I was so in the zone of of being nervous, you everything forgot. else got yeah. blanked out. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I've had this dog for five years, oh my gosh, I'm a complete failure. Um and this morning I offered Alfie and I, English chamomile or Roman chamomile, which is um, it's for anxiety and it's very calming. And um, you both did well. We both did very well today, <laughs> and we both enjoyed our work, didn't we, Alfie? And Alfie's tail was up, and he was exploring much more. And also for Alfie, I offered him uh, another essential oil called vetiver, which um, can be selected for, for numerous things, but for male dogs, they often select it for a little bit of extra confidence 
Um, and because we lost our spaniel, Alfie, unbeknown to me at the time, I always thought he was a very boisterous little dog. Without Ben, was actually quite an anxious little dog. Um, and so he's inhaled better there, and I took it on the walk with me. So offering it to him at home when he's in his normal environment was, was one thing. But he wasn't really in, in the environment of when he does get anxious. So we bought it with us just on a tissue. And we both, we both inhaled it during the walk. I have, I have it. I put it on me for new dogs coming. I put it on my jacket and I things. Do. Yes, yeah. So it's very good. And so. Interestingly, I've never offered the dogs the cypress oil. Um, I just, I don't, I've never done it. It's something that I'm sniffing on. I have it in my car next to my, um, it looks as a wee handle, mm-hmm. a wee space in the handle. It sits in there and I just sniff it when I'm feeling a little bit like... Your heart rate goes up or something. Yeah, yeah. And um, it must be them. I mean, and if they're in the car, it will be in the, in the environment. I suppose it will be. It's it'll very be strong. Yeah. yeah. It'll be <laughs> molecules floating around. I need to let you, you smell it now and see what you think about it, Don. Okay. Have you got anything to add or questions? Not, not so far. Uh, just in terms of pacing, though, pacing is a really critical thing in everything that we do. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the challenges is if you come to, to Jesse's walk, is there's sort of an expectation that things will change quickly and it's really hard to pace yeah. and have a slow change so you know we, we talked the other day about this um getting a sneak preview of what your dog can achieve but we, we do a lot of talking and helping people understand right that's all it is it's a sneak preview you now have to do the work yes. to get that consistently and the yeah and and you know the advantage that jess has is the ability to give a sneak preview when i work with clients i can't give anybody a sneak preview of what it's going to look like when things have changed but she can go this is how your dog can behave now i'm going to teach you how to get it to that that pace yeah. And, and everybody's different dogs are different people are different and the guy who trained me would use the phrase um cutting at the speed of the bread oh right okay yeah which is a really interesting phrase yeah, and, and i kind of think it yeah. really works but i really don't like it it's one of those really you know how sometimes you have a thing and you go yeah that's exactly it but i'm just too visual so all i've got is this big fresh white loaf of bread going squishy, squishy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah me too um so on the pacing subject um I was with Rob yesterday on his walk and he mentioned that um, there's a lady that comes every so often and on the walk round is about an hour and a half um, round the loch and she'll stop at least four times and have a cup of tea she'll take a flask with her and I said I bet she'll live a long time that lady because she's enjoying the moment isn't she the cup of tea for me it um, it brings about that sense of sitting and just enjoying the moment and just chilling and there's probably something to explore there um, because when you're full of facts and, and you want to help people change, it's all yes. very like intense. Well, for me, it's intense because the pace of the walk's quite slow. Yes. Of our walk, it's quite slow. So anybody from any, any ability, um, and we've even had people in wheelchairs come along because there's paths around that we take in, in, to change up the route a little. Um, but actually, just stopping and chatting every so often and taking the proverbial cup of tea. And just yeah. being around the dogs yeah. and just enjoying them. I think I'd quite like to add that to the walk. Yeah, I do that sometimes when I do consultation. You know, if, if I'm working with an animal, I say it'd be good to have a cup of tea at this point, especially if the animal is very, very calm and very still with oils. Because people are like, right, what are you going to offer next? And they're just going to leave that there on the floor with them for a while and, and just, just simmer, let, them, let them simmer. Let them process. <laughs> That's brilliant. You know, and sometimes, you know, the animal wants to leave the room for a little while and people are like, oh, so what do we do now? Well, we wait. Allow it, yeah. You know, so make, let's have a cup of tea. 
And yeah, I'd never thought about it like that. It's like this interlude of time. And, and you do it anyway when you talk about work mode and play mode, right? So when you're teaching somebody with a new dog, you're like, okay, it can't just be absorbing all the time. If you want to get it to, to learn, you need to give it a little bit of time, downtime. But we don't do that for the owners, do we? No. We don't do downtime. Yeah. You know, if I do training, you always have a break. You can tell when people have absorbed too much information. And the break is the most powerful bit of the process because that's where you absorb the information. And then you come back having had a chance to play it. It's like adding experience into it mm. in a kind of false way. So maybe something worth considering. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I'm going to take my Cypress oils with me tomorrow and get everyone to sniff it on a wee break. Yeah, see what they all think about yeah. it if they like well, it. I, I, worked, I worked with a horse once that, that really wanted um, Nerily, which is an oil that's often selected by animals for separation anxiety. And he had terrible separation anxiety when his owner walked away and he couldn't see her. Um, so I worked with him with English Camel for anxiety and then the Nerily for separation. And, and she says to me, oh gosh, he's, he's really calming down. And then I, I just handed her the Nerily bottle and said, you know, tell me what you think of that smell. You know, this is what he's inhaling, you know, let me know. And she, she inhaled it and she was like, oh gosh, I love that. I love it. And then she looked at me and went, oh, are we like mutually anxious of being separated? And I said, possibly, yes. <laughs> so she actually bought some and had it on her bedside table at night and said, you know, it really helped her worry less about him. Um, and, you know, but that, that was just a, you know, that's what you find sometimes, you know, we know what we need innately as well, but we're so, we get in the way of ourselves of um, trying to rationalize things, be logical. Um, and, and so it's quite interesting when I've done work, when I do work with animals, I often work with their owners and say, this is garlic oil, what do you think of that? You know, or this is, just to show them experience, garlic oil is incredibly strong. It smells like pizza heaven, you know, and, um, you know, but, and then you've got very subtle floral oils that are very soft and very light, you know, so, so those are kind of extremes. And, and if you work, like, if, if there's a, a male and a female with an animal and you'll find that the, the man will, will like oils quite different. So men often really like, I really don't like jasmine oil. But male animals will often select them, and men quite like them. I worked with a, a guy, and he said to me, oh, I love jasmine oil candles. And me and another lady, they were going, oh, no, I couldn't have one in the room. So it just makes everybody realise we're different. And do you find that um, dogs and owners are similar in the things that they like? Um, oh, I've never even correlated them. Mm, yeah. yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah. Back to mirror neurons again. Yeah. <laughs> I think we I think we as animals worry. Um, and so yeah, sometimes you'll find if you've got a, a, a behavioural problem with an animal that sometimes the owner feels the same or is um, yeah might might like the same kind of things. Um, and, I, and I don't know, I couldn't give you an explanation as to why that was. I think we, we've got a podcast coming up on, of the millions of podcasts on emotional connection oh, yeah, to yeah. animals and emotional projection. Yeah, so I, th I think what's really interesting, um, there's a really strong element of being in tune with yourself in this. 
So, you know, we're talking about a dog or a horse kind of going, knowing I need that. And we're talking about a human kind of going, oh, I get anxious. Oh, that's a nice smell. I like that smell. That makes me feel something inside. Mm. And it's, it's, and I think that's really interesting because, as you say, I think a lot of people are too in their heads yeah. to be able to be in the moment, have the cup of tea, say, well, what's this smell doing to the way I feel? What does this feel like on my skin? I think one of the... Um, tasks that you sometimes give clients is you know people assume self-care is going to get a massage and having a spa day self-care is not about that stuff at all that's like a a ultra level self-care self-care is about being able to say no self-care is about listening and saying actually i'm exhausted and this is not a priority for me to do it and self-care can also be about you know what i want to get that nice hand cream i'm going to spend extra money because I like the smell of it and I like the feel on my skin and I'm going to put that on every morning Mm -hmm. because that's my self-care and and that can be really powerful because that's you connecting with yourself and allowing yourself to have something that is serves no purpose almost but it does it serves a massive purpose so when when you're working with somebody who've gone from a place of hating themselves to kind of starting to be okay one of the first things to do is to think about getting an ice cream and using an ice cream and getting one that smells the way you'd like the smell of and just putting it on your hands before you go to bed at night. Yeah. And that can be a huge step forward because that's, I'm doing it just for me. Yeah. And I'm out of my head. I'm in my experience. Yeah, treating yourself. And as yeah. the advert says, I'm, because I'm worth it. <laughs> because I'm worth it, exactly. So, so I think that's maybe one of the things that differentiates between people and animals as well. Yeah. Is that animals aren't in their head as much and so are able to go, I've got this need. I'm going to meet this need by, you know, licking sweat off your face because I need salt or, (laughs) you know, eating grass because I know I need something that I'm not getting in my food. Mm. And I don't think people do that. I don't think people go, hmm, I'm nutritionally deficient in this, unless you're pregnant, right? Yeah. In pregnancy, women in pregnancy have this amazing link to their body and eat charcoal and all sorts Mm. or, you know, lots of dairy or something because for some reason during pregnancy is like a hardwired connection to what your body needs which yeah. you don't have the rest of the time well part of that part of that could be that um we are aware socially that happens so it's it's brought to our awareness that if you become pregnant you you may have cravings that you should listen to i was gutted that i didn't <laughs> terrible yeah i was looking forward to them and everything that's so weird. weird. <laughs> but, but I also say to people, you know, for the people who do go for a spa day or a massage, I say to them, do you ever, do you ever think about what you're having put on your body during that session? Because people will say, oh, you know, I should like lavender oil because it's relaxing, right? But I really don't. You don't like lavender. It gives me a cold. Yeah, and I'll say to them, maybe you like rose oil. Oh, yeah, I love that. Yeah, it's, it's very similar. It has a lot of the same effects. But listen to yourselves. And I said, don't ever have a massage with an oil that you don't smell first. Because if you have something on your body, you're likely to get a headache. Mm. You're likely to not feel great after the experience. You know, so make sure that you, you know, it's, there's a bit to your point, you know, being able to say, oh, no, I don't like that. Thank you. I'll just have a plain oil. Just, just use almond oil on me. That'll be fine. You know, well, Lavender gives me a cold and they put it in all the hot water bean bags. 
Yeah. They yeah, all have yeah. lavender because it's shown that lavender relaxing. makes you go, is relaxing and makes you go to sleep. Um, I had a friend recently who, not recently, a couple of years ago, who was doing some work with me and she had the saffron thing that she, not saffron, what is it, the, the sage, sage oh, yes, leaves yes. that she, she burnt burnt the smoke in the room, yeah, right? Yeah. I'm like, <coughs> <laughs> I can't breathe. I ended up with a sore throat after it and it wasn't that it was like massively smoky. No. It's just, you know, this cleans the energy. Let's do this while we're doing the stuff. And I'm like, I got a really sore throat here. Yeah. You know, so you have to know yourself. And so I think like a rescue remedy and things like that that people often recommend has things like lavender in it. And it's just like, oh, yeah. you know? So yeah, if you, as you said to your point before, if you mix a load of stuff, that's not the best idea. Um, it's, it's really understanding what each thing can do for you. And then sometimes going small to start off with and saying, not only do I like the smell, does it work for me? Or are there other side effects? And sometimes the side effects can be great because they show you something he's working on, mm. right? So talk about top-down and bottom-up approach. You could do something with an oil and, and you could do something with a smell and it could activate something which is good but only if you then work with what you've activated and kind of take the next step. Yes, and that, that's what's really important because um, I think sometimes, you know, people think, well, you know, I, I know a little bit about essential oils, so I'll use them. And, and, and that's fine when we're doing it to ourselves, but if we're doing it to another animal or to another person and you don't understand the compounds in those oils and what they're used for. I mean, some essential oils are very sensitive to sunlight and will burn you if you've got them on your skin or, or your animal. Um, and when I did my training, we worked with animals from, from, you know, guinea pigs and rabbits and chickens and geese and sheep and you know, whatever, every animal has an innate ability. Um, and a student that I was training with at the time was was um, was away in a, in a bed and breakfast on business and the lady's chicken wasn't well. And she had with her a, a very small pack of, of stuff. And so she went and said, you know, the lady was like, this, this chicken's gonna probably die tonight. Or, you know, so she went and worked with the oils, with the, the student knowledge she had, but was very cautious. And, and the next morning, the chicken was, was fine, you know. Um, but, you know, it's, it's being able to work with that knowledge and, and it's, you know, is very important because they're very strong uh, compounds. And, and herbs, are, you know, you can offer much more freely but again it's it's about free choice and i think humans feel that we learn something or we know we get knowledge of something and it's very logic based and therefore want to um, apply it instead of being able to allow another being to make the decision and i think that's that's quite a a wrangle. It's control especially for dogs i think we we control a lot of aspects of their lives mm. Um, rather than giving them freedom of choice, which is a really good name for this podcast. Um, can we talk about foraging? So, um, first question, a lot of dogs eat grass and, will, um, and when they come to me for the first time, they might, um, they might see them eating grass. I don't tend to get that with my own dogs. And if I do, it's a sort of uh, trigger for me to go mm, there's maybe something missing here so yeah. I'll offer the wheatgrass um, powder or yeah. um, probably seaweed mm -hmm. um, which I which I tend to to give them regularly or sorry I should say offer them regularly mm -hmm. um, anyway so I think there's definitely a correlation there vets 
almost always say that it's perfectly normal for them to eat grass and, and you'll often find they throw up afterwards. I think they're throwing up because they can't digest it. Yes. I think they're taking it in because they're missing something, but that's my personal thought. Do you have any? Yeah, so um, I think I, I probably didn't finish what I started to say earlier, is when you observe your dog eating grass, if Alfie eats grass, he'll often take the very fresh shoots off the top of new grass. So at this time of year when grass is starting to come through, and it's very fresh and it's very nutritious, he's never thrown it out. Um, if you see dogs eating more full-length grass or older grass that's tougher, yeah. I don't think they can break it down. No. Um, and so they might be taking that because they want to get rid of something that's in their gut to uh. purge. So animals will sometimes eat certain compounds to purge their stomach contents. Um, but if they're looking for nutritional value, they'll be taking the freshest, you know, youngest shoots that have got the most high quality, if you want, of, of nutrients in them. So, um, so that's why it's important to watch what they're doing. Because some people say my dog always, is always sick when it eats grass. So it's, so it's different types of grass that they're eating, or, yeah. or different. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So observe, observe the grass eating. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, is there any recommendations that you have for people who might want to offer herbs, growing herbs, so in the garden mm -hmm. where the dog can pick themselves what they might like? What would you recommend that they grow? Yeah. So I I grow my garden herbs I like to use in the garden, uh, sorry, in cooking, but Alfie has free access to as well. So if you grow mint in pots, don't put it in your garden because it will run wild. Um, rosemary, lavender, um, in the summer you can grow basil. I worked with a dog once um, that had ataxia and he, the vet and I had discussed that he might want anti-inflammatories or pain relief something like that. So that's what the vet had been working on. It's, and that was a logical thought I had too. He must have information. And actually, he wasn't selecting anything. And I had my essential oil bag open and he just stuck his nose straight on top of the basil and bergamot stimulants. And I was like, wow, that's interesting. Then the owner said, oh, we used to grow basil under our hedge and he used to lie on it. So when a dog or an animal lies on a plant, they're breaking it down and releasing the essential oil. So for a long period of time, that dog was used to having a stimulant and suddenly it was an environment where he didn't have it anymore. And although his condition wasn't curable, it was something he was still looking for. And both the vet and I were both astounded because we thought, well, let's suppress all this inflammation and stuff that's going on. And what he wanted, he wanted something to stimulate his circulation. So rosemary is a really good stimulant. It's very good at focusing. Um, so it's quite interesting just to grow herbs and see if your dog lies on it. They might not eat it, but they might play with it, or they might chew it and spit it out, or they might lie on it. So yeah, you can grow chamomile plants. You could grow sage. Um, I've said lavender, chamomile, basil. Coriander. Oh, I don't have that. I've got thyme. Thyme, yeah, because thyme's um, very antibacterial. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, just, just, I mean, I, I would grow as many herbs as possible in your garden. Is there anything you should avoid? Um, is there anything you should avoid? Any common ones? I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Certainly, I haven't got anything in my garden that, that would be. 
poisonous. So rhododendron is what they, they kind of say for dogs at the moment. I think there's quite a few sort of foreign ones. Um, yeah. Foreign I mean, plants. I, I, not, they're not herbs, but they're, yeah. you know, they're plants. Um, yeah, I mean, if you're growing things that are native... I have a, cy- a baby cypress uh, and the dogs rub on it. Yeah. They rub themselves on it. I don't know if that's mm. just because it's nice and scratchy. Or could if it's be. Or they could be releasing smell. the oil from the, from the needles. Yeah. yeah. Um, and what about willow? Um, some animals are attracted to nibbling willow bark, aren't they? Yeah, so willows um, is, a, is an anti-inflammatory and a painkiller. So, so wintergreen essential oil comes from willow plants and it's got salicylate in it, so natural aspirin. So, so that's, um, yeah, willow is very common, grown in hedgerows. And if you fields. saw a dog nibbling on that, would you have concerns? Would you think, hmm, something going on? Um, so I would think they're looking for some sort of anti-inflammatory or pain relief, perhaps. But it also willow can help with digestion. No. Um, but I wouldn't. Um, I would only be worried if they were eating, if they were ingesting a lot of it, okay. and then think, okay, that's a bit strange, and then look into that a little bit more. But um, but if they're just nibbling at it, no, I wouldn't be concerned. So if your dog is um, finding things in nature, or, or if you have a dog that's um, specifically interested in something that's maybe not interested before, it'd be an idea to get a, a picture of the plant or the tree and find out what it is. Find out so what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Good. We're good? Any questions? <laughs> I'll just... Uh... Jess keeps clipping the thing on her finger, and it's actually, yeah, it's oh. like got holes and dents in your fingers. You're being crazy. And now I'm trying to take the microphone off. <laughs> it's like <laughs> tearing it off. So um, we've talked before about the four different communication styles that we have, the way our, our brains interact with the world. So we talked about audio, visual, kinesthetic, the experiential, and the uh, logical one, the, the analytical one. And um, so all that we've talked about today sits in that kinesthetic experiential thing. So what's really interesting is you can use the way your brain works and your brain processes for all sorts of things, not just communication, but you can use it for studying and learning. And so one of the courses I have and one of the things I teach people is how to study in such a way as you can remember what you're studying. Now, if you're visual, then it's pretty straightforward, you know, coloured post-it notes, writing things out and things like that. If you're audio, you can listen to a particular song on repeat. Mm. And then when you go in to do your exam, you just think of the song and it brings all, like, you can remember the lyrics of the song when you think about it, it brings all the stuff back with it. What's interesting is um, experiential learners, kinesthetic learners have the hardest time because we don't teach that way. We don't tend to communicate that way. And so it's like, well, how do you help somebody who has that way of interacting with the world to study to the best of their ability? And smells is what you do. So what you do is you have a smell that they have while they're studying, and then the smell activates the memory. And, it, you know, lots of studies have shown that the quickest way to access a memory is with a smell. It's got the shortest, um, some of the stuff on Sapolsky that I'm listening to, it has the shortest pathway from the olfactory to the processing part of the brain is one of the shortest pathways in our brain. So smell activates things quicker than anything else does. Mm -hmm. So actually that can be an advantage if you're studying. And one of the things 
I'll suggest is like peppermint oil because peppermint mm. aids memory as well. So, and you could have polos on your desk and things like that. So, if you have the smell of peppermint while you're learning, then you can have peppermint in the exam, mm. even if you have it on a tissue or something. Yeah. And again, like the song, like the visual, the memories all come back that are associated with that smell in a really easy way. Well, that's really clever for people that are yeah, interested in, in really keeping clever. memories in mm-hmm. uh, or remembering something and then remembering it afterwards. Um, re- recalling it. That's the word. Don't laugh at me. Um, recall is not a word you use a lot, so you wouldn't remember. No. So, why is it called recall when the dog's coming back to you? Like, that's like. Oh, that's yeah, it's just memory. call, isn't it? It's not even recall. It's call, call. your dog. Recall your dog. Because recall means that. Call you're doing again. You're weird. Anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's change it. Let's just change it for all of dog training. Um, so, while you were talking, um, we were, remember we were discussing recently as well. Um, well, my, my example was different than yours, but I think I'm sure it was in the I'm sure it was in the same book. I'm sure it was in Nature Fix that I need to read again for the fifth time. There's so much in it. Every time I I'm listening to it in the car, and I'll do it on a long trip, and I'm like writing, taking notes, um, and then trying to remember. And then there's so like honestly, every paragraph that she talks, there's like there's so like many th- three things. It's to amazing. Yeah. And those um, voice recorders for your car. Yes. Dictaphone. Yeah. Dictaphones, yeah. You get well, digital well, what I do is I just listen to it again and again and again. And eventually I'll just, I'll know more. Anyway, so one of the studies was um, on smell, because all the chapters are about the different senses. And this, this particular one was, like Don says, it's bypassing the processing. It goes straight to meaning, I suppose, yeah. rather than, you know, um, was the study on people that jumped out of aeroplanes and had sweaty jumper, had sweaty t-shirts yeah. and they gave the t-shirts to the test subjects to smell and they went, yeah, it smells like sweat and they didn't have any um, surface thoughts mm-hmm. other than it's a smelly t-shirt. Mm-hmm. But their bodies all responded the same way as if they'd just jumped out of the aeroplane. Oh, wow. So their bodies picked up on the, the, the lower level physiology. Okay, I'll give it to Dawn because she's better at this. I heard the same thing from a different place. So you need to explain that you've got two different types of sweat. You've got the sweat that comes from fear and anxiety. And then you've got the people who went to the gym and went on the treadmill and got hot and sweaty. Right. Right. So what they did was they got the T-shirts or the clothing from both of those people and they said to you, smell this. And they went, yeah, sweaty, it's sweaty, it's sweaty. And they couldn't tell the difference consciously. But when they actually measured the body's response the human body was responding differently to the fear and anxiety-based sweaty clothes. It was a chemical, physiological response that the person wasn't cognitively aware of at all, which is fascinating. It is, and and also suggests that if we're around that regularly, then we have a physiological um, imitation going Mm -hmm. on. Um, So if you're living with somebody that's that's pretty stressed or pretty anxious, you're going to become like that too. Yeah. So we become what we're around. Yeah. So we're back to the dogs again. Yeah. Um, if we feel that way, and we might not even realise, because it might be such a long-term survival mechanism, coping mechanism that yes. we've, we've got, um, that but the dog's able to pick that up, and the dog then goes, right, well, I'm going to be like you. So if we're living with an anxious dog and we're feeling anxious or not even aware that you are feeling anxious, but maybe that there's certain things that trigger you really easily, it's a good idea to get help. Um, and helps that helps the bad word it's a good idea to have someone work through it with you because a lot of the time one of the things that I talk about um, what what I'm from what I see with clients that have worked with Dawn is um, that we 
fall into patterns from a young age because of the role models that we're around and we're almost taught by people yes. and we can't undo that ourselves. We need we need outside um avoid using the word help. What's another word for help? Support. Support, Support like that. Yeah, an outside guide to get us um, back to us mm -hmm. and get rid of the stuff that was created from when we were sort of leftover from a young age, if you like. Yeah, we were talking about acupuncture earlier, weren't we? Uh -huh. And um, I saw a Chinese doctor who said to me, oh, you're very anxious, or you have anxiety. And I went, uh, no, no, feeling fine, feeling absolutely fine. And he, went, he said to me, it wasn't a question. <laughs> 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 Which made me go... Oh, okay. Did you tell you what area? Did you tell you what area yeah, of the body? So, so I had acupuncture, and 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 I see him regularly now. And um, I sort of said to him, I said, "So, what did you work on?" You know, because I'm always like really intrigued to know, to learn. And um, and he he just said, you know, it's just built up over a long period of time. So I'd become unaware of it. I'd lost my self awareness. That's because, fascinating. Because it was part of my being. Yeah. It become part How of do my you know? Base level. Yeah. Yeah. So I was very confident saying no. And and who around you would have agreed with him? Uh, probably my husband. <laughs> and would you have listened to your husband if he'd said you've got anxiety before yes. the doctor told you? Yes, I would have. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. Um, I suppose it was. Um, I suppose I just yeah. I just learnt to to be with it. So um, I also went to a Chinese doctor. Um, I found a lump in my throat, and the same day I was able to see him after seeing uh, our NHS. So, ten minutes uh, session, sit down with um, a conventional doctor, who said, "Keep an eye on it. Don't worry about it just now. Just keep an eye on it." And I was like, "Is that it?" And an hour with the Chinese um, doctor who talked about my whole life. Yes. In an hour. Yeah. What do you do? What? How do you eat? You know, what's your job? How do you spend your time? And so he got the, the bigger picture. Yes. And he said, you're doing too much. Slow down. And it's all in your stomach. And I'm like, what about my lump? Yeah, yeah. Forget about that. Forget it's fine. That, yeah. And he also said to me, I'm not speaking my truth. That was before I met Dawn. Yes. And I was like, well, that's a bit itty-fitty. And now I understand much more about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. It's interesting. I, I do... Um, I do a special thing where I clear trauma in a client mm -hmm. and um, it takes five to ten minutes and I do lots of talking beforehand, lots of explanation, I explain exactly what's going on, exactly how we have this false adrenaline skeleton, but most people I talk to, that's all they've ever known. That's who they've been mm. since they were a child when mm. the trauma happened. You know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years they've lived, that's their base level, baseline. Yeah. And then we do this thing and then everything changes yeah in five minutes they can sit there kind of going i don't i don't, I don't feel that thing inside anymore i, I didn't realize that i felt that thing inside until that thing is now gone and and like oh that's really weird you know and that's usually what most people say it's really weird because they're like i didn't know that was there until that changed one of my friends who she's worked on uh, who she's broken she, she breaks them <laughs> in the best possible way she said um it's like having life with easy mode on that's how she described it. <laughs> That's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I used to work in a corporate job where we had quarter-end closes, very sales-driven activity, and I used to often lose my voice, and I would feel this incredible tension in my neck. And 
it was because often I couldn't say what I thought. So I would hold it in. And it took me ages to be like, why do I always lose my voice at quarter end? Or my voice would become very strained. And, and, and that always, and, and I don't ever have it now. So it, it just, you know, it's... it's well, the strange part now is why did we not realise that was at the a time, thing that was emotional rather than became, a physical thing? Because yeah. we're so convinced it's physical, physical. and on the surface. Really and loops. I was saying, I'm run down, I'm getting a sore throat. No. Loops us back round really nicely to how we started this, which is the animals can sense and we don't. We're, we're two in our heads and we're out of touch. So that was a really nice way of ending our podcast. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Thank you so much for the surprise. <laughs>